The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Well, good morning. At this time, the kids can go ahead and be dismissed to their classrooms. They've got uh, an amazing lesson for you guys today. Uh, I believe it is uh, Jesus Hears Our Prayers, and so what a great Great lesson we're giving to our, our children. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. We're going to start in Psalm 27, and then we're going to move to uh, Exodus uh, 33. Well, my name's Eric. I'm the uh, lead teaching pastor here at the church, and uh, we have been going through a series that we started last week entitled uh, Foundations. And so this is week two, and this is a great week uh, for all of us to really reunite and re-understand really what our church is all about. And the reason uh, why this series is just simply we wanted to uh, unify us as believers in Jesus uh, as the body of Christ and helping each one of us understand what Jesus ultimately has called us into and how he's called us to be a part of his redeeming work in the world. And so last week, uh, I'll just catch you up real quick. We talked about the connection between the gospel and the church. And the gospel, it just simply means good news. It's that Christ died according to scriptures for the forgiveness of our sins, that he was buried, and then he rose on the third day. And so that you and I, who through faith in Jesus Christ, can be united into his church, united into Christ himself. And we talked last week about how that gospel brings about a new covenant for us as his people. We talked about this new covenant being the promises of God being fulfilled in us. He says, I will be your God and you will be my people. He says, I will wash you from all of your iniquity and all of your sin and I will make you clean and I will, I will put my words in your heart and on your mind and I will take out your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you. And so that is the greatest news that leads us to understanding that God's great commitment to us overflows through us to a great, commit, uh, great uh, commitment to his church, to his body, to his work in the world. And so as a result of God's unwavering commitment to us, we make a commitment to the church. And today, uh, we're actually moving forward, and we're looking at a very unique component of the church that the Bible's going to say actually sets us apart apart from the rest of the world. And that unique component is the power and the presence of God. The power and the presence of God. For a lot of people, uh, we've come in and maybe you've experienced church in the past. Maybe you've come in and you've experienced religion or have you uh, experienced a duty or, or, or commandments. And maybe, maybe you've come in today and you've really struggled with what God is really like who God really is, and, and maybe you've, you've done this church thing, but you really have a hard time grasping the power and the presence of God in your life. And, and so you would say, you know, I believe in God, but I've really struggled with understanding what it is to have a real relationship with him. And so therefore, we're going to answer the question today, hey, is it possible that we can know God? And can I experience the presence of God in my life in a very real way? And if I can, then how does that happen? You with me on that? And so today we're going to talk about the power and the presence of God because one of our foundations here at the church is that we believe that God wants to show you his power. 
We believe that God wants to display his presence and his glory to you. We believe and we desire that as his people, he desires for us to experience him in a very real relational way. And so uh, we're going to start in Psalm 27. So if, you, if you're there, we've got it up here on the screen. You can follow along with us. This is David. And David uh, comes to the Lord, and he, he says in verse 4, there's one thing that I want. He says in verse 4, one thing I've asked of, of the Lord, one thing that I will seek after. Now listen, if you were to, if you were to make a list of all of your prayers last week, of all of your prayers last month, of all the prayers over your life, what's the one thing that would come up over and over and over and over again? Is there a theme? Is there a, is there a, is there a, a streamline of, of what you pray for consistently and constantly? Some of you say, yeah, I, I constantly pray for peace. I feel like my, my, my world is chaotic and it's going all around me like a whirlwind. And so I'm constantly praying for peace. Or, or some of you say, I'm constantly praying for provision. I feel like I never have enough. I'm never satisfied. Like I'm always trying to get ahead. And so I'm praying for that. Or, or maybe, maybe you, you find yourself, you're praying for, for protection, over your kids, Lord, just, just protect my kids. Like, that's a big deal. And so over and over again, we have these prayers over and over again of God. But listen to what David says. He says, I'm asking for one thing, Lord. And there's one thing that I'm seeking after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire or to meditate or to be in his temple. Now, in order to understand what he's saying, we have to understand the presence of God. Because he, he, says, he says, listen, in my heart, in my mind, in my list, there is one thing that I need more than anything else. There's one thing that I'm asking God for, and there's one thing that I'm actually seeking, and that's to know the presence of God. Now, understand this, what he's saying. We have to understand the presence of God. Uh, when David says he wants to dwell in the house of the Lord, listen, he's not saying that he wants this uh, uh, never-ending church service. All right? Some of you would be like, oh my gosh, that would drive me crazy. He's not saying, you know, I just really want to hang out in church because the Bible is clear that the glory of God and the presence of God cannot be held by the temple. Are you with me on that? And so in order to understand this, we need to understand that God presents presence in two different ways in the Bible. And the first one is an omnipresence. Everyone say omnipresence. That's a fun word to say. It's like Omnimax. It's like the theater that goes all around you, right? And so the omnipresence of God just simply means that God is everywhere at all times in his fullness. And so it's not like a piece of God is here and a piece of God is over there. God is everywhere in his fullness at all times, which means God is in this place in the same way that he's right now in your attic and on Neptune. Right? Are you with me on that? Like he's, he's everywhere. So listen, there's nowhere where you can go where you can't get out of the presence of God. He sees it all. He's everywhere. You with me on that? And so that's the omnipresence of God. Yet there's a second kind of presence the Bible speaks about, and it's called the manifest presence of God. Everyone say manifest. Manifest. Okay, that's a little harder word to say. Not as fun, but also juicy. So he says, he says there's this manifest presence of God, 
And that's where God reveals himself, reveals his presence in such a way that his glory and his goodness and his presence is felt within our souls. It says that there's a manifest presence of God, that when God reveals himself, it does something in us. And when you experience the manifest presence of God, what happens is really you feel really small and God seems really, really big. Over and over again in the Bible, it says that awe comes upon people. Maybe fear comes upon people. There's a moment where when we're in the manifest presence of God, we realize that we are in the presence of holiness and glory. And what happens when we experience the manifest presence of God is not only does it bring about repentance, but it brings about joy. And so, so when we experience God in that way, we realize that we need God. We need to turn to God. We need to turn away from things that aren't so glorious and go after the glorious one. And in so doing, it fills us with joy. And so when David says, what I'm after and the one thing I want is to dwell in the house of the Lord. Listen, he's not talking about omnipresence. He's talking about the presence of God. That's why he says, I want to gaze upon your beauty. I want to see your face. I want to seek you. He's talking about seeing and experiencing God in such a way that God himself becomes the center of his affections, the center of his mind, the center of his eyes, the center of his heart. He's talking about the manifest presence of God because when he experiences that type of presence of God, it changes everything. Look at what he says in verse 5. He says, I want to see you. I want to inquire in you. I want to see your beauty, verse 5. For he, God, will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble, and he will conceal me under the cover of his tent, and he will lift me high upon the rock. Now, I want, to know, I want you to notice something right here. He doesn't say one thing I need is for God to remove my trouble. He says, when I experience the presence of God, I find peace in the midst of trouble. Trouble is coming. He knows it's coming. He's facing trouble. But he says, when I experience the presence of God, the one thing that I want, the one thing that I need, the one thing that I'm after, when I experience that presence of God, he will shelter me in the day of trouble. Look in verse 6. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy, and I will sing, and I will make melody to the Lord. He doesn't say, hey, Lord, you know, I need you to take all these enemies out for me. What's the one thing that would bring joy and shouting and praise when you are surrounded by enemies? The presence of God. It's the only thing. He says, I don't want you to remove the trouble. I don't want you to even take out my enemies. I want your presence. Because your presence in the day of trouble, that's like a refuge. And your presence, when enemies surround me, I know you'll take care of me. Listen, listen, he says, he says listen, I want you, O oh God. Hear, O oh Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. And my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. I want to seek you. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O oh, you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O oh God of my salvation. David just said what I want. 
And what I'm after, what I'm seeking is you, oh God. What I need is your presence. Because he knows only in the presence of God will he be able to walk with joy despite whatever circumstances may come. Despite whatever family turmoil, no matter what happens to the job, no matter, no matter what happens with my enemies, he can endure with joy because of the presence of God. Now, I need to be really straight with you because I want to explain to you that you and I, we can't control the manifest presence of God. You can't make God show up in these special ways, but the scripture is clear that when we come together to worship the living God, when we come hungry to interact with God, when we seek his face, he will not hide from us. That when we go after God, we can experience the power and the presence of the living God when we come hungry. Just like the psalmist says, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul longs for you, O God. When we come, when we as a people know that we will die of hunger and thirst unless we have God, God in that moment promises not to forsake us. And so my question is, have you ever been hungry for God in such a way that says, I want to see you? One thing, God, I need your presence. One thing I need is you. One thing I'm after. Listen, every time we come together as LifePoint Church, we desire to spread a banquet for you that would somehow create in each one of our souls a hunger for God. That's our desire. That's what we want. That's what we want to see. Uh, um, my family and I were uh, big uh, Six Flags people. Anybody love Six Flags? I love Six Flags. Uh, we, we get the season pass, and uh, we ride the rides, and we, we do the deal, and so we go out there a lot. Uh, but here, here's what I know about Six Flags. If you've ever been to Six Flags, this is how it works. Uh, you walk in the gate, and uh, you can either go to the right or you can go to the left. And, and now what happens is Six Flags, they set traps for you both on the right and on the left. And so if, if, if you go to the left, all of a sudden, you'll be faced with this shop that has ice cream and homemade waffle cones. <laughs> and you round that corner, and you're like, what is that magic? <laughs> and you realize it is the waffle cones and the ice cream. And you're saying, I want one of those, right? And if you go to the right, it's the funnel cakes. Right? It's a trap, baby. I'm telling you, going in and coming out, they get you. And so listen, every time I go, as often as I go, that never gets old. Uh, and I want, I want one every time I go. So listen, that's what we want to do here at LifePoint Church is we want the aroma of God's goodness to fill us in such a way that says, oh, I want that. And, and it never gets old. It never is like, oh, you know, I've had that. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not. No, it's good, and we smell, and, we take, and we're like, oh, that is what I need. That's what I want. I mean, I could even right now start talking to you about, about steaks, and today is a great day. You could probably go out and fire up the grill, right? Cook those things medium, red on the inside, maybe a baked potato, right? You go down to the roadhouse and get that cinnamon butter to put on those rolls, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you right now are like, just stop, man. I can't take it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run out of here. I'm going to go eat. Because there's something when you taste the goodness of God, you're hungry for it and you want it. And so here at the church, we want to be a place where we are just chasing after God, hungry and thirsty for God. 
Now, in the, in the, in the Bible, we see these times where, where people encounter God. They encounter the glory of God and the goodness of God, and they see the glory. And one of these that stands out to me very particularly is in Exodus 33. So if you've got Bibles, you can go ahead and flip over to that. I'll have it up on the screen also. But let me tell you what's going on in Exodus 33. There's these people, the Israelites. They were just rescued out of Egypt. And so they were in slavery, and then they were rescued out of Egypt, and God parted the Red Sea, and they walked through, and they made it uh, to the other side, right? And so what's happening is they just left Egypt, and they're heading for the promised land, and they stop at a place called Mount Sinai. And Olmo, he goes up on the mountain, and uh, he's getting some instructions from God. And what happens is he's gone a little longer than what the people think he should be gone long, uh, that, that time. And so the people, they, they start to get scared, and they take off their gold, and they take off their jewels, and they start to melt it down, and they form it into a, a golden calf, right? And then they start to worship the, the calf. And, and every time I read that, every time I think about that story, I think, what morons? You ever think that? Right? I mean, okay, okay, so, okay, you're in Egypt, these, these magnificent plagues come, I mean, these are just acts of God, and you're seeing that, they, they, and Pharaoh finally lets them go, they let them go, and then, and then you get to experience the sea opening up, and you walking through, and then the army that's chasing you gets drowned in the water, and you make it through, and you're like, woo, right? And then, like, like a few days later, you're like, I know, let's worship a golden calf. I mean, that doesn't even make sense. I mean, a calf is weak. Why wouldn't it be like an eagle or a bull or something, like something awesome? No, a calf? But, but listen, this is what I realized. That's us. Right? I, I mean, how many times do we see God move? We see his power. We see him doing amazing things. And we're like, you know what I want? I want to I bow down to a calf. And God's like, you see how silly that is? Look, look, at, look at this interaction. So, so Moses is up. Uh, on, on Mount Sinai with, with the Lord, and the people are down and they're worshiping. Look, look at 33, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, Depart and go out from here. And the people whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt and the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, Your offspring, I will give it. So he's talking about the promised land here. He's saying, I'm going to fulfill my promise. I'm going to bring you into a place that is rich and good. It's the place that I promised the offspring to Abraham. He says, I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites and the Amorites and the Hittites and the Prezusites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff necked. I could just see him saying that with his teeth stiff necked people. Listen, now most people, particularly Americans, would think that's a great deal. Blessings, land, prosperity? You mean you're going to wipe out my enemies? You're going to let me go into the promised land? And you're going to let me uh, taste milk and honey? Most people would say, that's a deal. 
No real obligation to God. No real commitment to God. You know, I, I really, ultimately, I like to be my own God. So if you could let me be my own God and just give me your blessings. Oh, we love that. We love that. And so look at what happens in 33:15. And Moses said to him, Lord, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in you going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? You see, Moses, he saw God not, not just as useful, but as beautiful. He says, he says, is it not your presence, O oh God, that separates us from the rest of the world? The world may have riches. The world may have milk and honey. The world may have lands and, and promises. But listen, we don't want that without you. This is the one thing that separates us from everybody else is your presence. We want your presence, O oh God. And so God, he, 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 he comes to Moses and he says, all right. Listen, do you, do you see God? as beautiful and not just useful? I mean, do you see, see God as the treasure, as the means to which we prosper, rather than seeing God as, 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 as something to get us to what we really want? Is God your ultimate goal? Is God's present your ultimate pursuit? Is God's present the one thing that you ask for? Because Moses says, no, no, no. Moses saw that without God, everything else is useless. Without your presence, oh God, I don't, I don't want any of it. He says, is it not your presence, oh God, that sets us apart from the world? Look in verse 18. He says, please. Moses said, please, show me your glory. Have you ever asked God for that? I mean, have you ever... Ask God to show us his glory, to actually show us his presence. If there's one thing that I can encourage you as a pastor above everything else is that you would ask God to see his glory more than anything else. In the day of trouble, in the day where enemies surround you, that you would every day get on your knees and ask God to see his glory to feel his presence, to see his beauty. Look at verse 19. Verse 19, God said, I will make all my goodness. Everyone say goodness. goodness. God says, I'm going to show you all my goodness. <clears throat> my goodness is going to pass before you and will proclaim before you my name. Everyone say my name. So he says, I'm going to show you my goodness and I'm going to proclaim to you my name. Here's what we need to understand. The goodness of God is not absent of his name. The goodness of God is seen in the proclamation of his name. And, and so look at what he says. He says, he says, listen, I'm going to 
proclaim my goodness to you, and I'm going to proclaim before you my name, the Lord. Anytime you see Lord in all capitalized like that, that, that is Yahweh God. That is I am. He says, I'm going to proclaim to you the Lord, and I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy to whom I'll show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on a rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of that rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I pass by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. And look in verse 34, 5. Skip down a little bit. It says, The Lord descended on the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed what? The name of the Lord. And proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You see, most of us, we miss the significance of what's happening here. It doesn't say that Moses was in the cleft of the rock and all of a sudden God passed by and then he saw a bright light or he saw the sun or he saw something glitter. No, no, it says that when God passed by, he heard a name. He heard his name. And so we cannot separate out the goodness and the glory of God apart from his name. You see, God, he put Moses in a place of safety to declare his name. Because Moses, like you and I, because of our sin, we're unable to stand in the presence of God without God himself covering us. So we need a covering. Moses needed to be covered by God so that he could be in the presence of God and not die. In the same way, you and I need to be covered by God in order to stand in the presence of God. But instead of putting us in a rock, God places us into the safety of himself, namely his son, Jesus so that through Jesus we can see his glory, so that we can see his presence, so that we can feel his power and know God. Look, look in John chapter 1. John chapter 1. It says, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his Glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father who is full of grace and truth. For from his fullness, verse 16, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, but he has made him known. The beautiful thing about the glory of God is that we get to experience it in and through Jesus Christ. It says that God sent his son Jesus in the flesh. This is God in the flesh. Hebrews says that he is the image of the invisible God. And, and, and 2 Corinthians 4, it says that the glory of God is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is God in the flesh. And he came and he lived the perfect life that we could not live. And he died the penalty for our sin, dying in our place. So that those who would put their faith in Jesus, those who are in Christ, can now experience the power and the presence of God in a very real way. 
and not die because he died in our place. Jesus, in Jesus, we see the justice of God upheld. We see the compassion of God extended. We see Jesus as the powerful name that is proclaimed to see and experience the glory of God. So what Moses saw in a glimpse, we see in Jesus Christ. Moses, by faith, was put into the cross of the rock and he got to see the trail of God's glory. But it is by grace through faith that we are put into Jesus Christ so that we too can experience the fullness of God's goodness. That's what we're after, the fullness of God. And so if you're here today and you come hungry for God, you come thirsty for God, maybe like David and say, God, that's one thing I want is you. Maybe like Moses, you come and you cry out, I want to see your glory. Listen, God says, I will come to you. I will show you my goodness, and I will show you my goodness through the proclamation of my name. I will show you my glory through the name of Jesus, the name that is above every other name. Do you want to experience the power and the presence of God? Because the power and the presence of God is in the name of Jesus. Jesus says, I am. It says that every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to the name of Jesus. The, the power and the presence of God is not an emotion. It's not hairs on the back of your neck standing up. It's not, it's not Dustin finally getting into the bridge so that we can sing louder. Listen, those may be results, but listen, the power and the presence of God is when the Spirit of God shows you the goodness of God by taking the name of God and makes it real to your heart. When the Spirit of God shows you the goodness of God through the Son of God and it becomes real to you that that's God himself, that's God in the flesh, that's my Savior and that's my Lord. And I experience the manifest presence of God through Jesus Christ. God does that by declaring the truth of God that he did save you, that he did wash you, that he did redeem you, that he did bring you to himself, that he did put his spirit inside of you. And he does it all through the name. And through the name of Jesus, you and I get to experience the presence of God. So when the spirit brings you into his presence, we can feel it. We feel small. He feels big. I feel repentance, but I also feel joy. I feel, I feel security. I feel, I, see, I feel patience. I feel joy. I feel love. I feel like I'm crying out, Abba, Father. That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit bears witness with my spirit that truly I am a child of God. And through that Spirit, I can say, he's mine and I am his. Nothing that was formed against me shall prosper. I am God. Listen, the power of God and the presence of God are directly tied to the name of Jesus because it is the name of Jesus by which we are saved. It is the name of Jesus. Acts 2.21, we talked about it last week. It says, everyone who calls on the what? The name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, this is not... This is not some magical chanting of his name, right? Not some voodoo thing. Listen, but what it means to call upon the name of Jesus, when you call upon the name of Jesus, it's just saying, I trust that Jesus is who he says he is. When I call upon his name, I trust that he does hear me when I call upon him. That when, I'm, when I call upon him, that he will save me. When I ask for forgiveness, he will forgive me. That's the beauty of the name. There's power in his name. 
And in Acts 2, 37, it says that when they heard the name of Jesus, they were cut to the heart. That's the power of God. That's not the power, man. That's not the power. That's the power of God. When they hear the name of Jesus, who was crucified, they were cut to the heart. Listen, I am not saved by my name or any other actions that I do. You are not saved by your own name or your goodness or your good deeds. Listen, God knows, right? There, There is a list of everything that I've done and everything that I thought of. And listen, in the heavenly places, that list does not look pretty for me. I am not righteous in my name. I am not beautiful in my name. I am not saved by my name, and I am not saved by the good things I do because even the good things I do are filthy compared to God. And so I am saved. I am made right before God because of the name that covers my name, the name of Jesus. The blood of Jesus covers me, and he gifts me his righteousness. And so only when his name covers my name can I be reconciled before God. And listen to me, you are not saved by your good works. You can only be saved by the name of Jesus. When his name covers your name. So when I call upon his name in faith over my sin, and I call upon his name over my condemnation, and I pray his name over my shortcomings, chains break, and my soul is released, and I can be set free. Jesus' name is the name in which one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That means one day everyone will know that Jesus is Lord. Either they will bow in fear or they will bow in worship. They will come in all in recognition that Jesus is the name above all names. It was the name of Jesus that the lame walk. It was the name of Jesus that the deaf hear. It was the name of Jesus that opened blind eyes. It was the name of Jesus that drived out demons. And Jesus even said, you shall go and make disciples and baptize them in my name. When you pray, you should pray in my name. Why? Because there's power in his name. The presence of God, the glory of God is seen in Jesus Christ. Acts 5.41, it says the apostles were willing to suffer and die for the sake of his name. Acts 4.12, it says there's no other name under heaven which we must be saved. There's only one name that could rise each one of us from our dead man's state. There's only one name that can resurrect the dead, and that's the name of Jesus. Only one name through which we can be set free from guilt. Only one name we can be set free from shame. Only one name will allow us to experience the presence of God, and it's the name of Jesus. It's the name of Jesus. And so here at LifePoint, We believe that Jesus is the most precious name. Jesus is the most beautiful name. And every time that we come together, we want to proclaim his name. Because we want to experience the power and the presence of God through the name of Jesus. We believe that all of the scripture points to Jesus. And so every time we open this book, this is the word of God to us that points us all to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all for Jesus. So, so many times people, people they say, okay, I understand God, but what's the big deal about Jesus? It's all about Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. It's only through Jesus that we can be saved. It's only through Jesus that our marriages can be healed. It's only through Jesus that I can be reconciled to God. It's only through Jesus that I can be made whole. It's only through Jesus that I can be made righteous. Everything is about Jesus. And so the name of Jesus 
is a great invitation to him, from him to us, that we could know God, that we can actually stand in the presence of God, that we could see his glory. Listen, spiritual growth occurs as we press deeper and deeper in the name of Jesus. We proclaim to you his name. Week after week, my goal is to put before you Jesus, to show you how the word points to Jesus. My goal week after week is to proclaim to you his name. And listen, that name, when you smell that name, when you sing that name, when you pray in that name, when you proclaim that name, listen, it never gets old. Oh, because that name is such a precious name. Do you want to know God? Are you desperate for God? If yes, then I would encourage you to do what Moses did, to do what David did, and do what the apostles encouraged their listeners to do. Ask for it. Ask God to show you his presence. Ask God to show you his glory. The name Jesus, it means God saves. When we call out the name of Jesus, we're calling upon our Savior. We're calling upon our Lord. And when we call upon Jesus, it radically transforms our life. Every time we gather, whether here or in small groups, we come together to get ourselves under the grace of God and lift up the name of Jesus. We pray in the name of Jesus. We place ourselves under the waterfall of grace so that his power and his presence can, can flow through us and in us and we can experience God. Do you realize that since we've started this church about five years now, that when we come together to proclaim the name of Jesus, that God saves people. That's what we've seen. We've seen over 100 people come and be baptized here in this church. Just simply by proclaiming the name of Jesus, God saves people. God meets people. God rescues people in the name of Jesus. Do you realize that Jesus brings people from dead to life here in this place? That God heals people here, that God reconciles people here, that God exposes sin here, that he stirs up our affections here because we are all about his name. So I pray that there will be a great anticipation for you every time we come together in the name of Jesus. I pray that there will be a type of an excitement in your souls that says, oh, let's go sit and listen and hear and worship and proclaim the name of Jesus because in his name is power. I pray that every Sunday you wake up and you're not saying, oh, let's just go get church done so that we could go do our other thing that we actually are looking forward to today. I pray that this is the thing, this is the time, this is the moment where we come together in the name of Jesus and say, show us your glory. Show us your power. Show us your presence. Let us sing to you. Let us pray to you. Let us go after you. Let us seek your face because above everything else I want you, more than anything else I need you. I'm not asking you to remove my troubles. They're out there. I don't want to ask you to remove my, I want you, God. And so as we continually ask God, would you show up in mighty, mighty ways? When we gather together in his name, when we pray in his name, when, when two or three are gathered, Lord, he is there. So my hope is that as often as we come together, we would be hungry for God and that we would ask God to show us his power and that we'd ask God to show us his presence through the proclamation of his name the name of Jesus. Let's pray for that right now. Oh, Jesus. 
Lord, it says that when we seek you, we'll find. When we ask for you, you'll give us. We ask you to fill us now, oh God. Lord, right now there's there's many people in this room that maybe are overwhelmed with trouble. Maybe stress. Maybe jobs. Maybe financial. Right now, there's many people in this room that may feel like they are, they are surrounded by enemies and strongholds. Maybe it's sin. Maybe it's temptation. Maybe, maybe it's a drawing to something that, that somehow we cannot shake. And I pray right now as your church, as your people, as your men, as your women, as your children, we would just simply cry out, Jesus. And when we cry out, Jesus, we proclaim that you save, you redeem, you restore, and you heal. You bring us into you, Lord, so that we can find joy everlasting. Today, oh God, may we as your church cry out your name and proclaim your name over everything that hinders. May this church be founded upon your name and nothing else. We don't want to be a place that just simply, simply seeks your blessings without you. Lord, today, stir our hearts for one thing. Let us see your power. Let us see your presence. Let us see your goodness. Proclaim to us again the name that is above every name. Remind us that there's power in your name. Oh, Jesus, we surrender. We lift our hearts. Maybe you're here today and you simply say, Eric, yeah, I've been really trying to work hard. I've been really trying to do good. I've been really trying to do these things on my own. But ultimately, I've never grabbed hold of the power of God in my life. If that's you, if you need Jesus to break a chain, if you need Jesus to break an addiction, if you need Jesus to set you free from sin, if you need Jesus to, to, to set you free from a stronghold or, or set your mind at ease that you are a child of God, maybe today you're here and you say, I need the power of Jesus. Listen, right now, would you just, would you just acknowledge that before him and just maybe, maybe lift your hand or li lift your head and say, and say, that's me, that's me. I need Jesus to move. Yeah, yeah. Jesus, you see our hearts. We're seeking you. We want you. And we believe that when we proclaim your name, we're believing by faith that you are who you say you are and you'll do what you said you'll do. Jesus, we pray in your name, in your name, in Jesus' name, amen.